Hello everyone and welcome to the Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. The CAA is of course the peak body representing the chiropractic profession in this great country of ours and I'm your podcast host Anthony Coxon. A CAA podcast will explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic both here and internationally. We'll be reviewing the latest research and see how we continue to use the evidence base to drive clinical practice and this will certainly be what we'll be doing today. We'll explore a range of ways that chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice and achieve the best possible results for their patients and their community. Now, a question to our listeners out there. Are you aware of the radiographic guidelines for low back pain? I suspect most of you know they exist. Many of you may know a little about them, but probably few know them in detail. Well, there's been a report recently published by the Medicare Benefits Schedule on just this subject, and it has some significant ramifications for chiropractors. So hold on to your hats, because we're going to about to have 20 minutes of some serious upskilling. And to help work through this topic today, we're joined by our special guest, chiropractor, researcher, and Macquarie lecturer, Dr. Hazel Jenkins. Hazel, thank you, and welcome, for, uh, welcome to the CA podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Now, before we get into it, um, perhaps just if you can give uh, our podcast listeners a little bit of background uh, onto your sort of professional journey so far. Yep. Okay. So I um, started my education at Sydney University, where I did a Bachelor of Medical Science. I then moved to Macquarie University to complete the Masters of Chiropractic, which I finished in 2002. Uh, since that time, I've both been working in private practice. And also I've been working within Macquarie University as um, both a tutor and a lecturer. Um, I was very much interested in radiology both when I was studying um, at university, but then also um, once I started teaching, I started tutoring in the radiology programs at Macquarie in 2005. And to further my knowledge in this area, I also completed a Master of Applied Science in Medical Imaging through Charles Sturt University, which I finished in 2007. In 2012, I came on board at Macquarie University as a full-time academic staff member, and I've been the primary convener and lecturer for those radiology programs since then. Fantastic. Well, you certainly sound like um, you're qualified I, for this area, that's for sure. Yep. And I've just recently started a PhD as well, where I'm looking at the overuse of imaging for low back pain and strategies to try and reduce it and bring it into, um, into line with current guidelines. Well, I guess that very much gets to our conversation uh, today. Uh, first of all, the guidelines that are currently in place uh, for, for low back pain, how long have they uh, been there for? So guidelines started becoming to focus really through the 1990s, um, and that's when they first started uh, really paying attention to things like healthcare utilisation and things like x-rays and whether they were actually useful or not. Uh, most of the current guidelines, though, have were developed in the early 2000s. Um, the medical guidelines were developed around 2002 and updated in 2007, and then they're continually getting updates. And the latest chiropractic guidelines were um, really developed around 2008 um, by Andre Boussiers and his team. And where was that? Um, interesting where did that happen? Uh, so he's from Canada. So he's in one of the chiropractic colleges in Canada, and they were published in JMPT in um, 2008. And is there a is there so much? If, sorry, we've got a bit of a delay, and we're talk, we're talking across each other here. So sorry about that, Hazel. But just to follow up my question, um, 
is there much difference in terms of uh, the guidelines from a chiropractic perspective to a guidelines from a medical perspective with regards to uh, low back pain? No, actually, there actually isn't, which is uh, in some ways a bit surprising. Um, I know that there are lots of chiropractors out there who feel that x-rays are probably more important for chiropractors than they are for medical practitioners because we do put forces into the spine. Um, but when you actually look at the, the key messages within both of the guidelines, um, so those for the medical practitioners and those for chiropractors, um, they are very, very similar. So they recommend that imaging should be primarily used to diagnose pathology um, or to um, uh, diagnose trauma and also in cases where there hasn't been a, um, an expected response to care. Um, but those would be the main indicators in um all the sets of guidelines that are out there at the moment. So you've obviously, uh, I mean, you're, as you said earlier, you're um, doing a PhD in this area. What's sort of drawn you, I mean, obviously you've got an interest in radiology, but what's drawn you to this particular aspect uh, of radiology? Yeah, it was actually more coming from my clinical practice. Um, so working in clinical practice, I obviously saw a lot of people, particularly with low back pain, and I'd get quite a few patients coming across who'd often been to um, GPs, for instance, uh, with their uh, more acute low back pain before they came to see me. And GPs would often have referred them for a CT scan. And so they'd come to me and be reporting that they'd had this CT scan, they had disc bulges, and that was the cause of their pain. Mm. And very often when I then examined them and looked at their CTs, it was really very unclear that the disc bulges had anything to do with their pain. Um, they were very minor in most cases. Um, and so I'd spend a lot of time trying to uh, sort of convince the patients that they didn't have this long-term ongoing problem and that it was something that could be probably fairly easily managed. Um, and so I actually got quite frustrated with that process. So that's really what led me into looking into this um, area some more. Let's talk about that a little bit more because that, that is, um, I think, a very important uh, point that you've just sort of touched on there is that patients like to grab hold of a diagnosis. I've got a disc problem. I've got a mm. facet degeneration. So the, and as you quite correctly said, quite often the um, you know, pathoanatomy doesn't really match their physical presentation. And as we know, many people have these uh, types of conditions and don't necessarily have pain or or any sort of sequelae that's significant from them. How do you manage that with in your discussions with a patient? Yeah, so it's um, very important to know that um, there are lots of people out there with absolutely no back pain whatsoever that will have these findings on imaging. And I often find that that's one of the first things I would tell a patient and um, they, they usually helps them to understand that um, that possibly these findings aren't actually related to their pain. Um, so just yeah, just letting them know that these findings are very common and lots of people without pain can have them as well. But I do find that it is more difficult in people who are presenting with that more acute pain to convince them that they've got nothing, it's got nothing to do with that disc bulge that they see on the imaging. Mm. And it's often more over time as we start to treat them and start to get some improvement in their symptoms that I can start to be a bit more convincing that probably that disc bulge wasn't related because that would obviously still be present on the imaging if we got it done again and yet their pain started to decrease. So it certainly is something that can be managed but it would be much easier if they didn't get that initial 
diagnosis that probably wasn't relevant in the first place. And it's well recognised as one of the main risks of over-imaging now is inappropriate diagnoses that might worry the patients and can potentially lead to further investigations and even unnecessary surgery in some cases. Now, earlier this year, you published some research that uh, surveyed the chiropractic profession on the awareness of the radiographic guidelines and their compliance with them. Uh, what were your results? Yep, so um, we surveyed Australian chiropractors and what we found was that 50% of the respondents to the survey actually reported that they were either completely unaware of current guidelines or that they were unsure of the current guidelines. Um, so we felt that this was really quite a high percentage of people to not be sure of them um, when it's something that we deal with every day because um, these were specifically related to low back pain. Um, we also found that respondents were quite likely to think that they would either refer for imaging or that, um, so x-rays in particular, or that x-rays were useful for presentations that tend to fall outside of the current guidelines. So things like doing routine screening for contraindications or taking x-rays for biomechanical analysis um, or even taking x-rays to definitively diagnose and direct the treatment, all of these things aren't indicated in current guidelines. Um, and then finally, we found that for those chiropractors who reported this poorer adherence to the current guidelines, um, this was actually associated more so with chiropractors who practiced um, clinical techniques other than diversified. So that included things like um, drop piece, um, chiropractic biophysics, um, Gonstead technique, and a few others like that. Um, it was also more associated with chiropractors who were unaware of the current guidelines, which stands to reason, mm. and also to chiropractors who referred to their own radiographic facilities. And that was actually the strongest association. So they were more likely to x-ray for a lot more reasons um, if they referred to their own facilities. And I guess that's uh, in some ways uh, pr predictable if you've got access to the technology that's right there and... Um, it's a you've purchased that that technology because you're planning on using it. You're probably going to use it more than uh, than, than referring out. Um, now, um, mm. just we've sort of touched it on uh, before about you, you mentioned that surprisingly the medical guidelines um, are pretty much uh, identical to the chiropractic guidelines when it comes to. Uh, radiology for low back pain um, and that yep. sounds you know uh, like a bit of a paradox uh, because certainly a lot of people who will argue the point that a GP is going to prescribe a pill uh, a chiropractor is going to place their hands on and put forces into the spine as a part of their care and therefore we need to be more aware of um, the, the anatomy underneath there um, that's not really the case yep. though it seems it doesn't seem to be, and as you say, it makes sense that we should know more about the anatomy underneath, but we don't see that reflected in current research. And this was part of the reasons that Boussiers and his team developed the guidelines more specific to chiropractors, because there was thought that they would be different. Um, but when they actually looked at the evidence and they um, they did a, uh, they used two different methods in their guideline development, and one was to look at the current evidence as to uh, when x-rays are useful and when they're not um, and how much information can actually get off them and the other part of it was they actually um, used a Delphi consensus process so they basically um, contacted a lot of um, educators in the field of chiropractic radiology or other chiropractors and um, basically came to a consensus with the whole team as to what they felt were appropriate reasons to refer for x-rays 
Um, and when they looked at the, the current evidence, there is just no evidence out there that taking x-rays before manual therapy changes the clinical outcomes at all. Um, the main evidence is that it is actually more likely to lead to um, increased harms than to actually give any clinical benefit. Um, and so that's why the, the guidelines are pretty similar in both ways. Um, a lot of chiropractors tend to think that they'll be looking for contraindications that might not show up otherwise or pathology that's quite silent. Um, and there has been some research done into this and it hasn't been found that these findings are very significant. So actually at Macquarie Uni a few years ago, we looked at the x-rays that have been taken in the clinics here and what um, uh, congenital anomalies were found on them. And we found that less or approximately 1% of cervical films only had um, congenital anomalies that might contraindicate treatment and even the contraindications weren't clear. Um, and so really for 1%, it's, it's not a good reason to be imaging everybody. Um, and likewise for serious pathology, um, you know, that's expected on less than 5% of films and it's probably more like 1% to 3% um, of films are likely to show serious pathology and that's even with red flags present. Um, so again, it's, they're just not common enough to warrant x-raying everybody to look for them. Hazel, I'm a, a graduate of, well, I think I've called the class of 91, so I we became a registered chiropractor in December 1990. When I went through PIT as it was back then, uh, it was part a requirement of our student clinic to take so many, you know, as X number of postural series. So it was very much, this is the way chiropractors do things. You know, if they're an adult patient and they come in, everyone gets a postural series, everyone gets a look at what their spine looks like from an AP and a lateral view, and then you just work from there. Uh, I went straight into a practice that had x-ray facilities. I think we had them in there for five years before we phased it out and used that room as a uh, adjusting room instead. But I, but I wonder how much of the way we actually do things in this area is more about this is just a habit or you know this is the way we were taught way back then. And obviously the, the, the teaching clinics and the uh, universities have changed. But uh, some of the chiropractors, particularly maybe of my elk, uh, are a little bit slower to make that change. Yeah, and look, there's a lot of different factors that are implicated through here. Now, obviously, we need the education to change and be um, current with what current research actually um, suggests would be the correct way to practice. And, and the educational institutes do practice that way. Um, and so hopefully newer graduates are coming out with the correct guidelines and the correct indications. But... Then, you know, even new graduates go into practice with people and um, often, as you say, there might be a bit of a habit there or that's part of um, people's regular routine that they use to help with their practice. And it's so ingrained now, it would be very hard to change that, I'd imagine. Um, and so newer graduates can end up in practices like that and so be taught a different way from what they've learned at university as well. Um, and look, I think particularly with the research that we did as well, it, there were just there was a lot of agreement that X-rays should be used in these um, areas that are outside the guidelines. So I think people genuinely believe that they are actually using X-rays in the correct fashion, and that they are indicated in a lot of these um, uh, a lot of these scenarios that they actually aren't. So I, th I think there needs to be more widespread education um, across the whole profession um, to just explain why X-rays aren't particularly useful um, and to really draw attention to how much information do you actually get off the x-ray and does that actually impact on what you do in practice? 
I think there's no doubt that guidelines in education are, are, are extremely important. Uh, for, for me, my I've changed the way I use radiology in practice a number of years ago from the simple thing of looking at, well, how many times does my uh, approach to patient care change in light of the x-rays? And mm. it didn't take me long to realize that it was extremely rare that I would actually change what I what I would do. It was most of what I uh, did was based on their clinical findings. Occasionally, you would be surprised with a spondylolisthesis or, or, or something like that. But um, pretty soon, you you know, we, with experience, you sort of get to pick up, you know, when things aren't quite right and may need, uh, you know, further information and when things are, are fairly straightforward. And, and once again, the guidelines still allow, you know, the option of using this sort of technology further down the track if the patient's not improving, of course. Mm, absolutely. And that's exactly right. They are just guidelines. It's just there as a suggested path um, for the majority of people. And there'll always be some people that fall outside of those guidelines and that you think, no, I do need x-rays, even though they're not quite in line with what um, we would normally expect. And as you say, the they're really there to pick up the big pathologies that do need different treatment immediately. In most cases, for most other biomechanical um, changes and what we'll be treating every day, um, you know, as you said, mostly it's clinical findings that direct it. And if in the rare case there is something underlying and you don't pick up for a few more weeks, it's probably not a major issue for the patient. Um, whereas the more serious pathologies obviously need to be picked up a lot quicker. So so I said at the outset that the medical benefits uh, schedule um, has been reviewed. They've had a task force that have put together a report on diagnostic imaging and low back pain. What were the findings of this report and importantly, what does it mean for the chiropractic profession? Yeah, so the task force um, was a group of people, including doctors, chiropractors and physios. And basically they were assessing um, the current indicators for low back pain imaging and seeing if the guidelines were sufficient. Um, and also comparing that to current Medicare utilisation. And they found that 61% um, uh, of all low back imaging was referred for by general practitioners and 28% by allied health. So general practitioners were definitely um, coming under fire a little bit for their imaging practices as well. But of the allied health um, professionals, 87% um, of all those x-rays were referred by chiropractors. Um, 3% by osteopaths and only 10% by physiotherapists. So um, it did come out that chiropractors were referring for a lot of x-rays as well. Um, and in particular, chiropractors accounted for nearly 100% of three-region spine imaging. Um, and so when they did their review, they really couldn't find any good indicators for three-region spine imaging apart from the assessment of scoliosis or maybe in some cases of trauma. And so that really wasn't consistent with chiropractors referring for um, basically 100% of this type of imaging. So they had a number of recommendations that came out of the review, um, most of them directed around GPs, but the one that's important to chiropractors is that um, it is very likely that we will have the ability to refer for three-region imaging under Medicare taken away from us, and it will become something that only GPs um, or potentially even specialists can refer for. Um, so they're actually removing the ability to refer for three regions imaging from all allied health professionals, not just chiropractors. Um, the other major finding was that they want to limit GP's use of CT uh, because of the high radiation associated with that. And, and they're actually considering allowing GPs to have a limited range of um, referral rights for MRI of the lumbar sacral spine. Um, but 
uh, with very um, with strategies put in place to make sure that they um, have appropriate use of those. At this stage, they're not recommending allied health. So again, that's both chiropractors and physiotherapists. Um, they're not recommending that we get referral rates for MRI. And I can't see them doing that until they see that we're actually coming more into line with guidelines. If we're already overusing x-rays, they're unlikely to want us to be uh, referring for something more expensive like an MRI as well. Yes, I guess if they're not seeing a judicious use of uh, you know, one form of technology, they're not going to uh, uh, allow uh, us to be using something that's considerably more expensive, which is a shame because obviously uh, you know, selective use of MRI is something that would be extremely valuable in a chiropractic and indeed a physiotherapy uh, profession. Uh, I guess Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was pleased, though, that um, uh, that there's a real recognition that uh, you know CT scan scanning is high radiation and in most cases uh, not nearly as effective or um, useful as MRI, except in acute trauma or um, recent placement of um, you know hip replacements and those sorts of things. So um, so mm -hmm. it seems like they're moving forward with the evidence at least. Absolutely. And they were very much directing a lot of the review at GPs because, of course, they are the people who refer for most of all these these types of imaging. And they certainly suggested a number of strategies to try and reduce inappropriate imaging amongst um, GPs as well. Um, and that is a large, a large focus of theirs. I wonder with, and it's certainly been my experience that um, a lot of GPs do refer for CAT scans for reasons that I would think are, aren't necessary. I'm wondering if this is on the back of, I guess, being practicing defensive med, uh, medicine and just, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get sued. I want to make sure I've covered absolutely every base. So I'm just going to throw out a CAT scan anyway, just to, just to be sure to be sure. Yes. Yeah. And this is actually a large focus of my PhD. I'm actually doing a lot more work amongst um, the GPs than I am in uh, within chiropractors for my PhD and a lot of the barriers that they have um, towards referring correctly for imaging are around yes the defensive medicine um, also because patients want the imaging and so mm. they just send for it it's a quicker way to sort of manage the patient than to actually have to spend time educating them or doing um, further examination etc because GPs are very limited in their time with patients um, and in some cases it's also because GPs just aren't um, as well educated around um, musculoskeletal pain um, as they are in some other areas. And so sometimes they're just not certain whether they need it or not, and so they get it just in case. Now, one thing that you touched on earlier that I uh, just wanted to follow up with you, you mentioned how um, there was a greater utilisation uh, of x-rays in those chiropractors that practice techniques other than diversified. Uh, the two techniques, I guess, that stand out to me would be CBP and Constead um, in terms of techniques that you know tend to rely a fair bit on x-ray analysis for their diagnosis and um, and you know ultimate care. Uh, is there any um, link that you found in those people who practice those two particular uh, uh, chiropractic uh, performance chiropractic? When it came to our actual um, survey that we did, um, we couldn't divide out the um, CBP from Gonset, et cetera, because the numbers of respondents in those categories were just too small, so we couldn't get any meaningful results from that. That's why we had them clustered in one category. However, it does make sense that they would be referring for a lot of imaging because, as you say, they use it as part of their clinical decision-making process. Um, it is a, very much a greyer area 
techniques like this because they would argue that they do use the x-ray to change the way they practice and that they're using information directly from the x-ray to direct their treatment. Um, so in some ways that meets some of that clinical justification for getting the x-ray. However, I would argue that there is no clear evidence that the way they practice is any better than any other style of chiropractic treatment. Um, and so therefore, there's no clear benefit to getting the x-ray to allow that style of, of practice. Um, I would also argue that in a lot of cases, um, particularly I would say with um, CBP, they're often doing the type of treatment that they use the x-rays for with correcting the curves etc later down the track and in those initial stages they're often doing fairly standard chiropractic treatment so I really would argue that they don't really need the x-ray on that initial visit um, and that they could do the standard chiropractic treatment and when the patient determines that they want to move more into that CVP model and look more at the curves etc then that would be when an x-ray might be more appropriate and that would really decrease the number of people who are actually getting Getting them. So I think they can still be a bit more judicious about the way they use them, even though they are pulling information off them uh, that they use in practice. All right. Well, I'm sure there's some uh, many Gonstead and CBP uh, practitioners out there who uh, might have things to say about that either way. But um, it's food for thought. And look, we have to be considering these things. We're talking about the guidelines. Maybe as a way of summary, summing up things, Hazel, can you just go through so it's very clear for the chiropractors out there what the guidelines uh, actually are? Yep. Okay. So um, they're usually, they're pretty straightforward. So for most regions, um, basically the main indicators are if you've got strong suspicion of pathology and particularly pathology that's going to change um, the type of treatment the patient gets. So things like cancer and infection um, and obviously traumas um, and, you know, other things like avascular necrosis, anything that's actually going to lead the patient to probably needing medical care as opposed to chiropractic care. These are definite reasons to refer for imaging. Um, osteoporosis is always an interesting one. It's often one that people talk about finding out if the bones are strong enough, but of course x-rays actually aren't the best way to assess for osteoporosis. Um, so if that's the main reason you want to take the image, you should actually be referring for a DEXA scan or something similar to that um, because x-rays will often miss cases of osteoporosis on them in any way. Um, so they're the predominant reasons to refer for imaging. Um, the other one, of course, then is the non-response to care. So if you've diagnosed a musculoskeletal complaint, you're treating it and um, it's not responding as you would expect over time, then um, that's the other, the other main indicator for x-rays. Um, the other one we find that there's a lot of confusion with is actually um, neurological symptoms. Um, so particularly um, in in the low back, they've got neurological symptoms down the legs or obviously in the neck with symptoms down the arms. Um, in most cases, x-rays aren't the best modality um, for assessing for any changes. So um, with leg radiculopathy, imaging isn't recommended initially unless there's very hard, hard neurological signs. Um, but um, if you do need imaging down the track, then obviously a CT or MR would be preferred. Um, in the neck with arm radiculopathy, imaging often is indicated a lot earlier because it can be more severe in that region. But again, a CT or MR is much more useful than an X-ray will actually be. So it's not just the, the timing, uh, sorry, the indicators for imaging, but also the type of imaging is important as well. And I think chiropractors have a tendency to just refer for X-ray for everything because it's what we've got more access to. 
Well, that's uh, one good thing that's come out of the guidelines uh, is that uh, in the future, chiropractors will be able to refer to GPs for an MRI when it's appropriately indicated, not necessarily have to wait and refer to a specialist so that the patient can claim uh, under Medicare. And of course, chiropractors can refer directly for uh, MRIs. It's just that the patient would have an out-of-pocket expense for that. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, as you say, we can refer for MRIs at the moment as long as your radiologist is, is happy to take your referral. Um, and um, But they do have the out-of-pocket expense. But yeah, I actually, um, hopefully GPs do get the rights to refer for MRI so that um, the patients who um, do need the Medicare benefits in particular are, are able to get those MRIs more quickly than having to wait for those specialist visits. Fantastic, Hazel. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, you've been extremely informative. I'm sure uh, all the, the podcast listeners will uh, will now be completely up to date with the guidelines and uh, and understand why uh, it's important for chiropractors to be adhering to them. Uh, this has been the CAA podcast. If you'd like to catch up with previous podcasts, just uh, go to the uh, Chiropractors Association of Australia website, and that's chiropractors.asn.au. This has been Anthony Coxon uh, with Hazel Jenkins. I look forward to speaking with you again on our next CAA podcast.